I entitled my message this morning, Rewards of Christian Suffering. Now you might say, what are you talking about? Rewards for suffering? Yes, rewards. We don't ever think about it that way. We think about suffering as bad stuff going on in our lives that we just can't handle. People talk about suffering with a headache, suffering with a toothache. In sports, you hear about people suffering big defeats. I'm not going to go into the numbers John used last week. but Some of those were uh, unheard of numbers, which were true. I could follow each of those that he had brought up, but suffering as a Christian brings rewards. Bring a little bit of background to the message before I get into the text. How many of us know what was going on in Rome when Peter was writing and bringing these messages. The city of Rome was being burned. The Romans believed that their empire Nero had set the city on fire, probably because of his incredible lust to build. In order to build more, he had to destroy what there already was. The Romans were totally devastated. Their culture, in a sense, went down with the city. All of their religious elements of their lives were destroyed. Their temples, their shrines, their household idols, all gone. This had great religious complications and implications because it made them believe that their deities had been unable to deal with the configuration with this conf... Wow, it's a word I didn't see. Conflagration. No idea what it means, so pardon me with that one. And they were also victims. The people were homeless and hopeless. Many of them were killed. Their bitter resentment was severe, so Nero realized that he had redirected their hostility. So during the time that First Peter was written and Peter was bringing these messages to his people, the Roman Empire was under the siege of the emperor Nero, and he was burning the city to rid it of Christians. In that time also, the name Christian was not spoken of in the same context that it is today. It was considered a curse word. It was considered something bad to be. And they had to deal with that. I'm going to go ahead and read the passage now that we're going to use. It's in 1 Peter 4, if you want to turn there. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 19. Beginning in verse 12, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when they come upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rather rejoice in as far as you share Christ's sufferings 
that you may rejoice and be glad when the glory is revealed, when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the glory, the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin. Where? At the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to the faithful creator while doing good. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we come to you, we humble our hearts. Lord, clear our minds of things that don't need to be there right now. Help us to concentrate on your word. Help my words to be your words, not my words. Help my thoughts to be your thoughts. Lord, as Pastor Preston often prays, convict us where we need to be convicted. Change us where we need to be changed. But Father, most of all, may you be glorified in what is said and what is done here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Peter begins this passage with a simple word, beloved. Beloved. Another transliteration that I like to read calls it friends. So he's not talking to people that he doesn't care about. The Lord is not talking to people he doesn't care about. He's talking to you, Christian. He's talking to you, beloved. He's talking to you, friend. He goes on and he says, don't be surprised when things don't go right. It says, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when they come upon you to test you. Fiery trials. How many of us have had a fiery trial in our lives? I don't want to see a show of hands. Some fires are bigger than others. Some of these trials may include, and I don't have a complete list, I only made a list of four things that I could really think of quickly off the top of my head. Loss of a job, financial setback, a broken relationship that never mended, or the loss of a loved one. We may not think of those as fiery trials. They are. One commentary I read, or one of the speakers that I was listening to, says, 
If you haven't been through a trial, you might not be a Christian. If he hasn't brought trials into your life, you might not be one of his children. I wasn't thinking about it at the time, but about 20 years ago, I worked for one of the best companies in Battle Creek. I was employed at the Kellogg Company. Not by Kellogg's, but at the Kellogg Company. And I messed up. I broke one of their rules, and I was fired. That hit at a really hard time in our lives. It was in November. What comes right after November? Christmas. And dad's without a job. That was hard for me to tell my family. And they still will tease me about it at times, as children do. Um, But that actually served as a blessing in my life because it led me to the company that I currently work for. Um, I've been employed with a company that I wish I'd known about 40 years ago. I could be like some of you, retired. (laughs) But I work now for a company called Excel Marketing. It is not Christian-run, but all of my bosses are Christians. I get to mingle with people all day long by myself. I do a lot of, I have a lot of what they call windshield time. Right, Nick? We get a lot of windshield time out there, but this is, it's, it's been a blessing. It was a trial to lose my job, but God found something better for me. So don't be surprised when God puts those trials in your life. It may not be the loss of a job. It may not be any of the things that I listed. But he's going to put them there if you're one of his children. He's going to challenge you. He's going to test you. God allows suffering to shape and to mold us into vessels that he can use. Now, again, that may sound trite. It may sound strange that he will allow suffering to shape us. But think of it this way. Think of a silversmith. What does a silversmith do? He makes things out of silver, obviously. It's a silly question. He heats the silver in order to make that beautiful ring or that beautiful necklace that you have, that takes some pressure. That takes some heat in order to make that happen. Or even the swordsmith, he heats and reheats and reheats and continues to reheat the sword until it's the perfect, sharp, instrument for battle. He will do that in your life until you are the vessel, the instrument that he can use. So, don't be surprised when he puts that out there because he's going to challenge you for the good. He's going to put suffering in your life. 
Verse 13 starts out, but rejoice. Now, I could have stopped after Pastor John read what he read this morning. I was just going to say amen and say we're done for the morning and we can walk away. But I've got three pages of notes I wanted to share. So we'll see where it goes. So again, we say rejoice. And you might say, what in the world are you talking about? Rejoice in our sufferings? Dave, are you an idiot? Are you crazy? No. Well, I might be, but no. Not in this case. It says to rejoice in as much as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed in your life. So when those trials come in your life, don't be surprised. Rejoice in those trials. Another term that I threw out there, and I'll use it again at the end, is embrace those trials. What does it mean to embrace something, to grasp it, to hold it, to hug it, to bring it tight? Because when you rejoice in your sufferings, you are sharing in Christ's sufferings. Has anybody here ever been persecuted for your faith? Again, I don't want to see a show of hands. Has anybody here ever had a gun or a knife held against you because of your faith or to test your faith? I know there's somebody in this room this morning that's had that done to them. I was going to ask them to share it, but it's, I'm not going to do that. I've heard the story a number of times. One of our members was on a youth missions trip. I believe it was to New York. And they were, had gone out on their own during the day to do some witnessing. Middle of the afternoon, a man walks up to this person and the person that they were walking with. And I don't remember exactly if they had a knife or what the situation was, but they threatened them to denounce their, their faith in Jesus Christ because they were sharing openly. And this person said, no, I can't do that. Well, it comes, story come full circle. The person who pulled the knife on them or threatened them was one of their leaders in costume to make sure that their kids were doing what they were supposed to be doing. But it still had a knife pulled on them to test their faith. I pray that never happens to us, but if it does, I hope we give the right answer. Uh, I remember hearing a story of uh, some missionaries who were, who were uh, put along a firing line and they said if they denounced their faith, they would not be shot. And they kept saying, nope, 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 not denouncing my faith. They also never got shot. The man at the other end of the gun was also a Christian, and he says it was a test. It was a test. 
Wow. How would you react in those situations? When I think about some other people from the Bible in particular, think about the Apostle Paul. All the different things that he went through, being imprisoned, uh, being banished, different things that had happened to him. But what did God do in his life? Look at all the things that he accomplished in the Apostle Paul's life. How many of you know the name Jim Elliot? Jim Elliot was a missionary in Africa. I'm sorry, Ecuador, thank you. I knew I would get that wrong because I didn't write it down. Martyred for his faith, kidnapped and martyred for his faith. Yeah, there were four of them with him, but he was, he's, he's the one we remember. Yes, thank you. Um, another story that, that I read this week while I was doing my prep, um, there was a pastor, Kim Wing is how I'm going to pronounce his last name, N-G-U-Y-E-N, Nguyen Wing, I've heard it pronounced different, all, all different names. He was a Chinese pastor in the underground church in China. His church met regularly under the scrutiny and political upheaval of China. After several years of meeting underground, China relaxed their policies on Christian meetings, and he was able to meet in the church. He did this for a while, and then once again, China shut down public Christian meetings. Pastor Wing's church decided they were going to continue to meet. Kept their doors opening despite many warnings and threats of imprisonment. Well, lo and behold, Pastor Wing was imprisoned, thrown in jail, but he continued to preach the word while he was in jail. Many conversions, many changed lives. His release date finally came. He decided not to get released. He decided to stay in prison and continue his ministry there. God allowed this suffering in Pastor Wing's life to bring him to a point where he realized that God was using him in prison. He didn't need to be a free man in order to preach God's word. So those are just a few of the people who I found who rejoiced in the suffering that God put in their lives. In verse 14, it says, If you are insulted for Christ's name, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.10, it says, Blessed are the persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the persecuted. Wow. Blessed are the persecuted. 
Blessed are those who are insulted for the name of Christ. Any of you have old friends that you've lost in touch with because you're not like them anymore? No more partying? No more interest in the lifestyle that you once led and they still lead? You don't like to listen to their crude joking anymore? It doesn't affect your life? Ever been mocked or razzed because you go to church? Because you carry a Bible with you? Because of the fact that you might even admit that you're a Christian? I remember back in um, high school, had a good friend who I met when I moved to Bellevue. Yeah, Bellevue, sorry. Uh, moved to Bellevue back in 1972, and we became fast friends. We played ball together. Uh, we hung out. Uh, didn't realize it when I was 12 and 13 that he was witnessing to me always talking to me about his church, about his God, his relationship with God. I'd played church for a long time. I'd gone to different churches, but never heard the salvation story. He shared that with me. I was a junior in high school, and uh, kind of hit me. I blew it off. We went to a uh, Youth for Christ rally at the high school. And there was a pretty girl giving the message that night in a good band, playing some really good Christian rock music. That really spoke to me. And that night was when I prayed the prayer. Went to school the next morning and shared it with this friend and another friend who claimed to be a Christian, and they laughed at me. They'd been with me that night before. They'd been at the concert with me, but they laughed at me. They said, what are you doing? Well, I didn't denounce my faith because of that. I didn't know enough to denounce my faith. I had just prayed a prayer that they had led, that they'd given us at the meeting. But yeah, mocked, razzed, belittled because of your faith. Remember what Matthew said. If you're persecuted, you will be blessed. Verse 15. Peter says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Well, Peter, being the good pastor that he is, is giving these warnings to his people. He says, don't suffer like these people do. I mean, we all know what murderers are. We all know what thieves are. We can pretty much guess what evildoers are. What's a meddler? 
not somebody that works with metal all day. I hope I don't. Actually, I do. I hope I hit some buttons here. Are you a gossiper? Are you a busybody? And these other terms that I threw out there. Are you a nosy Nancy? A Batinsky? I don't know if that's really a word, but I put it in there anyway. A meddler is someone who has more concerns over somebody else rather than themselves. Getting in everybody else's business. But Peter warns us, don't be like these people. And no, this is not an all-encompassing list. There's all sorts of things that you shouldn't be. But you really don't want to find yourselves in any of these categories, or for that matter, any place near any of these categories. Again, I didn't want to point fingers. If it's you, change. Verse 15 says, Yet, if any of you suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Romans 1, verse 16 says, some of us probably memorized this verse from Awana. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I am not ashamed of the gospel. How many of you can claim I am not ashamed of the gospel. If you're that, repeat it with me. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of Christ unto salvation. Power of God unto salvation. You know, for those of you who repeated that with me, that's pretty easy to say here, isn't it? In this room, with these people, take my hands out of my pockets. Sorry about that. That's just my bad habit. I'm not a hand talker. Um, I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Oh, thank you. I just had to find my spot on the paper. Thanks, John. Um, it's easy to stay here in this room with these people. What about tomorrow? What about tomorrow at work? What about tomorrow at school? What about at home? What about with your family who may not know the Lord? I am not ashamed of the gospel. How about, good Vern, how about in the parking lot? Car on the way home. We are not to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. 
Now I need to go back and find where I was at before because I lost my mark. Verses 17 through 19, I'm going to kind of encapsulate them all together. These are the biggies. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is kind of the crux, if you will, the crux of the whole passage. Verse 17 starts out, For it is time for judgment. I'm going to stop right there. It is time for judgment. Not condemnation, but purging and chastening and purifying. It is time for judgment to begin where? In the household of God. Ouch. And it begins with us. In his church, by his living and righteous hand. Purging, chastening, purifying. Those could all be looked at as suffering. But again, that's the judgment that he's putting upon his house, his people, you, me. It is time for that judgment to begin. It's far better and more important for the kingdom work to endure suffering as the Lord purges and strengthens, not Calvary Baptist, his church. Wow. It's more important and better for the kingdom work to endure suffering. And then it ends with what will become, what will be the outcome for those who don't obey the gospel of God. They will endure eternal sufferings of the unbeliever in the lake of fire. Carrying that over into verse 18, it says, If the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Proverbs 11.31 says, If the righteous righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? This reinforces that the justified, the saved ones, were saved with great difficulty. None of us were easy to save. We all had to come to the end of ourselves. 
Christ had to lead us there. There was some suffering in some cases. There was loss in some cases. Some of this we've spoken about. Again, what will come of the ungodly, the unsaved? What will their lives be like? We've kind of talked about that. Verse 19 says, Therefore, and we're not going to go back and find find some therefore. I know that's popular. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to the faithful creator while doing good. What does it mean to entrust? To entrust is a banking term. It means to deposit for safekeeping. To deposit for safekeeping. And who do we deposit that to? The Creator, God. Peter uses the term Creator to remind us and his listeners in that day that they committed their lives to God and they were simply giving back to God what he had created. As the creator, God knows best the needs of his beloved creatures, the Christians, those who are saved. Thought I marked this one, sorry. First Peter one twelve, I'm sorry. First Timothy one twelve says, "I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted. I acted." ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Changing lives. How do we deal with suffering as a Christian? We remember the creator and give back to him what he gave us, our lives. Three quick takeaways, and we've talked about them all the way through. Three E's. Expect suffering. It's going to be there. If you're a Christian, expect suffering. Embrace it. Rejoice in it. That's the tough one. He's putting it there to grow you so that you can be better used in his ministry, his service. And then entrust your soul to the creator. 
That starts with accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. And it grows from there. Again, entrusting means deposit for safekeeping. Once saved, he's not going to take that away from you. Entrust your soul to the Creator. I pray this has been an encouragement this morning. It was to me as I studied through it this last week or so. Changes need to be made. He's purging his church. He's growing his people. Be available. Be open. Be saved.